Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this is going to be a multi-part, and I, at this point, can't tell you if it's going to be three parts, four parts, or five parts. But uh, what I can tell you is this is the first part. And this is in part based on a presentation I made as part of a category course and a refresher course at RSNA 2007. The title was Multi-Detector CT in the GU Track, Hype or Hope. And in, um, in this talk, I'm going to cover some of the issues I addressed in that talk. And at that time, I was uh, sharing the, uh, the session, you know, RSNA Things are 90 Minutes, with Jonathan Berlin, and who spoke a lot about medical legal issues and GU imaging, and perhaps we'll be able to get him to give you that talk on one of the uh, future vodcasts. Anyway, let's get started. And um, there's no doubt if you look at some of the changes in GU imaging and the changes in radiology in general, there's a couple of good descriptions. There's an article by Boone in Radiology. Extreme multi-detector CT has the potential to revolutionize cross-sectional imaging. However, substantial infrastructure improvements are necessary for maximal diagnostic utility of this technology. He also went on to say the increase in clinical applications and image quality that 64 slides provides can lead to a sea of change in disease assessment and diagnostic medicine. And hopefully I'll show you in this lecture and series of lectures how important this concept is in imaging the GU tract, but particularly in imaging the kidney. I mentioned a few moments ago that um, Jonathan Berlin shared the uh, session with me, and he made several important points in terms of medical error, and particularly in terms of radiology error, but especially in terms of GU imaging, that common causes or perceptual errors or an error in which the radiologist fails to observe or recognize an abnormality. And that's surely true in the GU tract, but it's true everywhere in radiology. And a common cause of error in GU radiology is improper technique. Can't, can't argue with that, and that's one of the key things we always speak about. You do the study correctly, you'll probably get the right diagnosis or come close enough. So it's very important to technique, interpretation, going beyond the axial images, and that's what I'm going to speak about, at least in this first part of this series. And there's no doubt... Whether it's the kidney, pancreas, liver, heart, um, successful evaluation requires proper study protocols. Then phase or phases of acquisition necessary or critical. Again, we recognize different phases, present the kidney in a different perspective, and accuracy will change based on that perspective. We need to know what kind of slice thickness we're going to be looking at, the interscan spacing. Are we doing multiplanar or 3D imaging? Do we need isotropic data sets? And the point that we've made many times about volume visualization being very critical for data display, especially in the kidneys. So if I look at the goals of renal imaging, the typical thing we try to do is, is there a disease present? That's number one. Is the kidney normal or is it abnormal? If it's abnormal, what's the abnormality? What's the pathology? Is it infection or infarction? Is it carcinoma? Is it congenital? What is going on? And based on our decision-making process, based on our interpretation, we can then help to determine the optimal management of the patient. Is it follow-up? Do we need other imaging studies? Do we need a biopsy? Is it a tumor and you need a nephrectomy or a partial nephrectomy or RF ablation? Those are the decisions that need to be made, and those decisions more and more are being made based on the CT data. So what, that's our challenge, to find all this information so we need to optimize lesion detection and classification and then presentation of that information to the referring doc. Those are the things we need to do. 
And in the kidneys, the number of decisions you can make are really very, very many. Contrast injection is critical. How much do you inject? How fast do you inject? What's your scan delay? Do you acquire images early or in between? Is it arterial or is it cortical medullary or is it nephrographic? Do you get late phase imaging or excretory phase imaging? What about non-contrast imaging? What do you do? What do you process? When do you do NPR? When do you do coronal? When do you do 3D? Those are all important decisions. And again, there are many ways of looking at this, but I guess one issue, particularly in terms of phases, is that if radiation wasn't an issue, you might get four or five phases in every patient. Obviously, radiation is an issue, so we need to be able to optimize the information we get, yet minimize the number of phases. In saying that, I want to get the right answer. So to have less phases and not get the answer is not the thing you want to be doing. So what are the value of each phase? Well, I won't speak too much about non-contrast CT at this point, but I'll make a few comments. Obviously, non-contrast CT is good for recognizing stone disease, and we do all our non-contrast studies as stone protocols. But remember, on cortical medullary phase imaging, especially with 3D, you will see all stones of any consequence. Probably the most important reason for doing non-contrast CT is that at times you have high-density renal cysts, which become very easy to recognize on non-contrast CT, and when you follow them with contrast, you recognize the lack of change over time. So a high-density renal cyst might be 70 Hounsfield units, non-contrast, arterial, nephrographic, and excretory. There was a recent article that actually took this a bit further and made the point that a homogeneous renal mass measured over 70 Hounsfield units on non-contrast CT was greater than 99.9% a high attenuation cyst rather than a renal cell carcinoma. So perhaps based on this article, and based on other people's experiences, that if you have high-density renal cysts, you don't even need to give IV contrast. But that's something we'll see a little bit more about later. But it does make the point that these non-contrast scans do have value. But let's get past non-contrast into contrast-enhanced scans. And again, timing is such a big perspective of how we can do in terms of imaging. And so I like to think about things more from a functional perspective because how things will look will depend on what the kidney is doing at that moment. So three typical phases, cortical medullary, nephrographic, and excretory phase imaging at 30 seconds, roughly 60 seconds, and roughly four minutes are typical numbers that have been discussed, though there is some spectrum. And let me focus in these talks on cortical medullary phase and later on excretory phase. Cortical medullary phase is that phase typically around 30 seconds post-injection that will vary between 20 and 45. The cortex is maximally enhanced, and medulla enhancement is relatively low. So there's a very nice spread between cortex and medulla in the 90 to 100 household unit range. It's the optimal technique for changes in perfusion. Anything that affects tissue perfusion is optimally seen early phase imaging, particularly when it's increased perfusion or relative decreased perfusion. It's the best phase for defining the cortical medullary interphase. It's the best technique for defining changes in vascular enhancement, for example, AV malformations or neovascularity in tumors. And it's the outstanding phase for defining AV shunting or tumor vascularity. So it's really a critical phase in this regard. Now, a lot's been written about cortical medullary phase imaging. And back in the one slice era, 
And even the four-slice spiral CT error, it got some bad press because typical issues, hypervascular mass that was small at the cortical medullary interface could be missed, and that's still true today. But I will say that any one phase can miss select number of lesions, and I'll show you some examples later. There was issues with lesions appearing to be benign, yet were cystic malignancies. Again, the uh, density measurements were typically off. The slice profiles were thicker with the early scanners, and that's typically not a problem anymore. You're not going to miss small cysts, and if you argued, if you did miss a small cyst uh, by scanning earlier rather than later, so what? I'll also make the point that we never only scan cortical medullary phase. We always have a second phase, and that's typically excretory. So things that you theoretically could miss cortical medullary, you're always going to see on excretory phase imaging. And we also mentioned false positive studies, just high-density things simulating tumors. And we'll touch on that. And uh, here was one article by uh, the group in Michigan. More renal masses were seen with nephrographic phase images than cortical medullary phase images, and that characterization may also be easier. So again, it's something to think about. But let me show you some other information that may help change your mind. So if we think about perfusion of the kidneys, what uh, are the global causes of changes in perfusion? Well, you could break them in three, arterial causes, venous causes, and obstruction. So arterial causes uh, are pretty simple, things that involve the renal arteries typically. So here's just a normal case, beautiful cortical medullary interface, volume rendering, Nice renal arteries, intrarenally uh, defined, and you can see, we'll just look at the second image, very nice uh, definition of that. You can see that we can look at the next image, uh, we'll look at the same patient, we'll look at it with MIP and volume rendering. Again, in terms of projecting the vessels, uh, MIP at times will be easier for intrarenal change. But again, volume rendering gives you that global perspective, gives you more of a three-dimensional feel. So just a nice normal example. What about this case? Now you see the kidneys are both functioning, but look how late the left kidney functions. The cortical medullary interface is there, but it's poorly defined compared left to right kidney. And then you look more carefully. There's a dissection. There's a stent in the patient's left renal artery. And you could see that when you go to the next level, uh, just the definite changes in perfusion. Now this kidney will function on late phase imaging. It's functioning now, but it's not functioning as well as the right kidney. And these changes are in fact better seen when you go to a uh, coronal display. We get a global look at the kidney. The kidney's large. You're not enhancing as well as the right kidney. Just a beautiful visualization of issues related to renal artery stenosis. So a very nice example of that. This next case shows you, again, looks like the same as before almost. The section, decreased perfusion left kidney, renal artery on the left side off the false lumen. But when you start looking more carefully, and we'll take that same image in a coronal display, you notice the poor perfusion of the upper pole or upper two-thirds of the left kidney. But the lower one-third seems to have good perfusion. But look at the right kidney. Mid and upper third look good, but the lower pole doesn't look that good. And if I take it beyond that simple 3D image with volume rendering and go to MIP in this example, you can see the definite differential perfusion changes between upper and lower pole of both kidneys, and you can see why. Upper two-thirds right kidney, lower third left kidney are fed by renal arteries off the true lumen. Lower third right 
upper two-thirds left are fed by renal arteries of the false lumen. So again, differential flow in the true and false lumen, resulting in differential flow in the uh, renal arteries, resulting in these perfusion changes. Just a very nice example. And this global visualization, this 3D makes it easy. Another case, hematuria, look at the lower pole of the right kidney. You can see when you look very carefully, the cortex is thin slightly, is not enhancing as much as the rest of the kidney or corresponding zone in the left kidney. And you can see that in fact better on these images. And the MIP really brings out the perfusion changes. So sometimes MIP is very valuable, as in this case, in this patient had renal artery stenosis. But again, a very, very, very nice visualization. We can see perfusion changes in this next example, which is an interesting case because this patient has multiple infarcts. And it's not quite global, but nearly global infarction of the left kidney, stranding around the kidney decreased or lack of perfusion in portions of the kidney on early phase imaging, nicely shown there. And this can be due in a case like this to septic emboli, for example. It can be in post-operative patients as well. And here's a 3D map of that patient's kidney. There's some functioning kidney. There must have been some branch renal artery. So again, very nice visualization. We do see infarcts. We do see perfusion changes in certain situations, patients post-operative, particularly aortic surgery, you can see in this case is poor perfusion of the left kidney, particularly the mid to lower pole. And uh, this was due to renal artery compression in this patient with aneurysm post-repair. So you indeed want to be very careful. You have decreased perfusion, you develop infarcts. I mean, very nice example of that infarct in the lower pole. So again, a good visualization. You'll notice you'd like to salvage this kidney because two-thirds of the kidney does function. On the other hand, this patient post-aortic aneurysm surgery, look at the patient's left kidney. You may see with a good imagination some capsular vessels enhancing the rim of the kidney, but the kidney is small and atrophic and is not functioning. And when you look at this on later phase imaging, that continued capsular enhancement, and you look at it and see it here as well. And here's just a very nice example of a patient who's developed an infarct and the reason the patient developed an infarct of the kidney, again, see the capsular vessels, is because the patient had aortic aneurysm surgery and they could not help but sacrifice the left renal artery. And now the patient has infarcted. So a very nice visualization. You just don't see the left renal artery there. You can see infarcts like this, very much web-shaped. And at 64 slice, we can see many other little bits of information. Look at the proximal renal artery. You can see the actual thrombus present in the vessel. That was something we could not see before. Uh, you would see the perfusion changes, but you would not see the ability to see, as in this case, the small infarcts. I'm showing you a number of images, and I'll even be kind enough to give you an arrow here and there, showing you very nicely the uh, thrombus in the renal artery going to the upper pole of the kidney, and here it is in 3D. So global visualization, arterial phase processes cause changes in perfusion, easily recognized on the CT scan and early phase imaging. On venous phase imaging, thrombus, occlusion, partial thrombosis like this case, do occur, hypercoagulability states, trauma, cold malignancies. And you want to be able to recognize this. Again, this can lead to renal failure if it progresses and goes into the renal vein up the IVC, for example. And the most common cause, as in that example, was hypercoagulability states. Sometimes primary renal disease like amyloid, trauma, tumor extension can do it as well. And the third thing that can cause obstruction or change in function 
will be related not to arterial or venous pathology, but to obstruction. And in this case, look at right and left kidney. The right kidney is larger. It's not enhancing as well as the left kidney. And if you look, start looking very carefully, the patient has masses in the right renal pelvis and more masses in the right renal pelvis. And so uh, this patient had multiple transitional cell carcinomas in the renal pelvis, the ureter and bladder, and it was obstructing the ureter, giving the patient delayed function. Just very nice visibility. Or in this case, look at this wonderful example. Look how the cortex and medulla do not enhance the same on left and right kidney. You'll notice in the right kidney, there's a large mass in the renal pelvis. It's hypovascular, very classic for a transitional cell carcinoma. There's no neovascularity, although there is splaying of the vessels seen on that example. So again, um, something very important to realize. Let me just show you uh, one other case in terms of perfusion. I think one point we make is about uh, what's the best phase. Not always possible to determine. Here's a great case that makes two points. One, right flank pain is a stone of the ureter. You can stop there. What about that right renal mass, mid-pole, right kidney? You start looking at it more carefully. Kind of wonder, is a stone there, but what about that kidney? What about the mass? And you start looking very carefully. There's delayed function. The right kidney is enlarged. And you see the patient has a mass, which ends up being a uh, transitional cell carcinoma versus renal cell carcinoma, hypovascular lesion. This is a renal cell carcinoma, but you can see it very nicely on these visualizations. So this makes several points. One, patient had flank pain hematuria. The stone was the obvious answer, but you got to look at the kidneys carefully. You could be missing something. Uh, number two, there are often multiple pathologies in patients. And number three, this lesion is very subtle in the kidney. And if you only did non-contrast CT scans, there's a good chance you might miss it in many situations. So again, a contrast enhanced CT is critical. And with that, I have a few more things to speak about in terms of perfusion, but why don't we take a break there and let's come back in 10 minutes. See you then.